Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? I am better than ever. Better than usual. How are you? Oh, great. I'm fine today. Feeling good. You know, Lance, for this interview, we speak to the daughter of a missing person. Uh, The fellow's name is Dale Williams. We covered his case originally on these airwaves back in December, December 5th. The uh, the episode, the first episode was originally published. But here we are now back with a couple more episodes about Dale Williams and how he went missing in Nuclear, Colorado in 1999. Yeah, we had our good uh, buddy Jenna Mel, who gathered all of the information that we needed to introduce Dale Williams' disappearance. She gathered all of that. We spoke with her. And the follow-up episode is with Tony, Dale's daughter. 
So she has a lot of information, and it actually turned into so much that we're breaking it up into a couple of episodes. Yep, so this will be the next two episodes of this podcast. will be uh, a couple of interviews with Tony. Really fascinating information, a lot of um, really curious stuff, sort of suspicious stuff. We know you were passionate about this case the first time we covered it back in December, so hopefully you will uh, be along for the ride with these next two episodes as well. Yeah, and real quick, uh, Dale Williams went missing from Nucla, Colorado, in May of 1999, May 27th, he was 42 when he went missing, so he'd be 63 now, 5'7", 170 pounds. His hair is sandy brown slash graying. His eyes are blue. I think in the first episode we said his eyes were green, but that was what um, some of the articles and some of the... Uh, uh, statistics were out there saying his eyes are green. They're actually blue. We were corrected by Tony on that. And he's got a beard and a mustache. Uh, he was last seen in blue jeans and a blue T-shirt. And his truck was found six weeks after he went missing, and it was submerged in a, sort of a, a river, um, a swimming hole, if you will, sort of two rivers coming together. So we get into all this with Tony, Dale's daughter, who was uh, just 19 when he went missing. I can't imagine uh, that scenario. I, I remember just graduating high school right around the exact time that he went missing. So, And she was only, I think, uh, right around the same age as us, Lance, so... Really, thinking about my life that time, I can't even imagine having to deal with something as stressful as uh, a missing parent. Oh, exactly. And she came out of it so much stronger. You can hear it in her voice. You can hear it through her determination as she's still searching for her father and still asking questions and even agreeing to come on with us and being so open and candid about everything. Yeah, and she's done a Reddit Ask Us Anything. She's jumped in on Web Sleuths as well. So she's very active, and uh, we are very happy to help Tony and try to bring some more awareness to uh, this mysterious disappearance case. All right, so we hope you enjoy this episode. Check out whereisdalewilliams.net and the Facebook group Missing Dale Williams for more information. And we are being joined now by Dale Williams' daughter, Tony. How are you today, Tony? I'm very well, thank you. How about you guys? Doing all right. Yeah, we're doing very well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. You know that you have uh, a lot going on in your life with uh, you know your job and family, and as well as all the work that you put in on, um, on your father's disappearance. Uh, so we just want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us about this. Oh, well, I'm very appreciative of you guys taking the time to speak with me, so. Well, thanks. Yeah, so um, so your father, Dale, he, uh, he went missing in 1999, May 27th, from Nucla, Colorado. And how old were you at that time? Um, I was 19. And how would you describe the town of Nucla? It's desolate. It's about two hours from any... Reasonable shopping, good gas prices. <laughs> um, it's up in the mountains. And um, if you wouldn't know that Nucla exists, you would drive right on through. Wouldn't even know it was there. Yeah, I mean, that it's a, a place that I, I know Tim and I had no uh, idea existed until our research assistant, Jennifer Amell, went through your father's case and bullet pointed and broke down everything that that uh that she came across every through her research and we didn't even know how to pronounce it when we first read it we didn't know if it was nusla or nukla or nukla um it's also a mining community out there right 
Yes. Yep. Um, well, in the past, they've since closed all the mines in Nucla for the last 20 years or so. They, well, probably longer than that, 30 years, they were mining coal, but before then it was uranium, and that was in Yerevan, which is about 15 minutes and 15 miles away. But mining and farming and ranching is about what keeps people going down there. And they and that still does? That's still true today? Well, they recently closed the coal mine and put about 70 people out of jobs um, there. And the coal mine was a kind of supplied power to the tri-states there. So I'm not quite sure how they or where all that is coming from now, but... Um, yeah, they closed the coal mine, uh, the well, the power plant, really. They closed the mine previously, but the coal power plant is what was closed there. And just to give people a sense of how small this town is, your father went missing in late May of 1999. There was a census done in the year 2000, and the population of Nucla in the year 2000, just a year after your dad went missing, was only 734. That's about right, and it might actually be less now. Um, when I was there, uh, like in high school, I, I want to say that it was probably teetering at just just maybe under 900 people. Since I moved, I, I know that some people have moved out of the area, but most people, when they when they are raised in Nucla, they tend to stay in the area or not go very far. A lot of my friends are in Grand Junction and Montrose and Delta that I grew up with, but um, the majority of the people definitely stay there in that Western Slope region if they were raised there. And was your father Dale uh, raised there as well? Did he have a couple of generations that went back? My dad was raised there and graduated high school from there, and, and we actually even had some of the same teachers. So that kind of gives you an idea of, you know, people stay there. And your sister, Sarah, we, uh, we just um, sort of spoke to um, uh, really, uh, really briefly. Um, and how old was she at the time of, uh, of your father's disappearance? Uh, my sister would have been a junior. Um, so she, she, she has a late birthday, so she would have been 17. My gosh. Well, um, all these pictures I've seen of your father, he looks like such a nice guy. Um, just such a, such a warm guy. Is that how you remember your father? Yeah, actually. Yep. That's how most people remember my father. Actually. He, he was always willing to help people and put others before himself. And, uh, he was very involved in his community um, with events and kids and um, just, he was just a genuinely nice guy. He would do whatever he could to help somebody if they needed help, from fixing their cars for free to taking them places to bringing them food to dressing up like Santa Claus or, you know, he he definitely went out of his way to be involved in his community. Yeah, looking at the pictures of him, my first instinct is to uh, ask him to go camping. He seems like someone who would be an amazing camper, someone who could probably light a fire with three sticks. Growing up, I we would meet my dad's family on the top of the mountain between Delta and Nucola, 
and there's like a little camping area up there called Columbine. And um, we would go up there pretty often throughout every summer to go camping or family reunions and stuff like that. And at the time, man, my sister and I, we really didn't, we, you know, your kids, you get bored in the in the woods stuff. But now that I'm older, I really appreciate that my parents did that with us. Yeah, and he was young, too. I'm just going to go through the statistics really quickly. He was only 42 when he went missing, so that would make him 63 today. He was 5'7", 170 pounds. He had sandy brown, uh, kind of graying hair, green eyes, a beard uh, with a mustache, and underneath the beard and mustache, there was a scar uh, under his chin and scars on each side of his face along the jaw jawline. Scar on the center of his chin, birthmark on left side of jawbone, and his jawbone was damaged and, uh, well, it says it's only visible if x-rayed, and he was last seen wearing uh, blue jeans and a blue t-shirt. Um, just curious, not like it matters, but did he have, uh, was he in an accident? Did he have some reconstruction uh, on, on his jawline? Yeah, and also my dad had blue eyes, not green. Well, there we go. <laughs> it must have been like two or three or somewhere in there. Um, but my dad was an auto body man, so he would fix, you know, the outsides of cars. And not not so much like transmissions and, and engines and stuff like that, although he he could fix things um, like that. He His bread and butter was the body work. So um, when I was little, he they had these machines. I just know them as Bondo machines that would, you know, shake. Um, violently under pressure to mix up this all this stuff that they that my dad would use to fix these cars and dents and stuff and and one of those machines had actually exploded and the front plate had hit him in the throat in the in the jaw actually yeah it shattered his jaw knocked him unconscious the explosion was loud enough that our neighbor heard it and. So he ran over to my dad's shop, which was behind our house at the time, and, you know, scooped me up and, and shooed me away, and then they had to air life him to Grand Junction. Wow. So he, he did have some significant jaw damage um, in his mouth and, you know, teeth damage and stuff like that, and, and that would be where the scar had come from is from that plate hitting him there. Wow, that's a that's an incredible uh, random accident that one of those yeah. would explode like that. Jesus. Yeah, and I I believe there was you know he had like an assistant that would help him. I think that he was out in the yard or something like that. I can't remember if if somebody else was there, but I know that my neighbor had come to the rescue and and, and then he did have to be airlifted out of uh, of Nucla. We'd love to talk about the um, the day your your father disappeared. Can you take us through um, that day? Well, I don't know much about that day. From what I recall, I wasn't informed of his disappearance until the following day. And I think that, if I remember right, it was pretty late. Or it might have even been the day after the following day, the 29th. I, can't, I just can't remember the exact day that that my roommate had called me. I was in college, and my roommate had called me at the school and had asked if I had seen my dad or heard from him. And 
I didn't, you know, I said no, um, why? And then my dad's cousin had talked to my roommate and said that he was missing. And and then, you know, I broke down, of course, in, in school or whatever, and then we ended up going over over the mountain to back from Delta to Nucla looking for him, um, like on the side of the roads and stuff like that, but there was no sign of him. Uh, when we got to Nucla, um, they, my Uncle Dick had, uh, my Dick, Uncle Dick and, well, my other uncles and, and my, my mom had arranged a group search party. There was about 500 people probably out searching all over looking for my dad or any traces of his truck or, you know, in all different directions. And once you get out of town, it can be pretty extreme terrain, I guess you can say. It's very hilly and mountainous because it's in the San Juans. There's rivers and not really forests, but, you know, lots of empty uh, BLM land that, you know, isn't occupied on a regularly basis and acres after acres of acres of nothing except for cows. So the, the search party lasted two days. We searched for two days with nothing, no signs of anything. And um, I do remember the the deputies coming by and talking to us uh, pretty briefly, just um, as best as they could to say that they had not found any signs of him either. And you have to remember that these people were my dad's friends. Yeah, of course. These are deputies from uh, Nucla. Right, exactly. Okay. They So, you know, they were struggling with this situation as much as we were. Yeah, because it feels like with a, a community that small, it feels like this is something that, you know, it's like a you know, they probably considered him like a brother or something. Exactly, yeah. Or at least friends. These deputies um, went to high school with my dad and graduated with him and... You know, our uh, me and my sister grew up with their kids and and stuff like that. So everybody is very pretty tight knit in Nukla. You everybody knows everybody else's business, um, everybody's secrets, and somebody knows something about someone all the time. And I just want to be clear that this was two days after he disappeared. Uh, you went into town, and that was May 29th of 1999? Right. Um, okay. So, um, the and the reason I know this pretty specifically is because um, it was also graduation. And my best friend from my childhood, who lived just two houses down, was graduating high school. And my sister and I did not attend graduation. And neither did my mom. So um, th- I'm pretty certain that graduation was on the 29th. Okay. What What is um, with this story here about uh, about on the day of Dale's disappearance um, while you were working at a drive-in? Some uh, uh, someone came by and, and asked about you. Right. I so I just found out about this last year, actually. Um, for the majority of the early investigation 
my sister and I were left out of everything. We didn't really know the, the stance of anything or the circumstances of anything. They didn't interview us. They didn't ask us the last time we saw our dad, anything like that. Um, and that was for, you know, I want to say the first, at least eight years of the investigation. So this last year is when I learned about that little tidbit of information, and it was confirmed through my family um, that it happened, but um, the the people that my great aunt and uncle who I worked for, they've since passed, so I can't get, you know, direct information from them on what exactly happened, but apparently um, somebody had come by uh, the, the drive-in and had asked for me, and they didn't know who this this guy was or had ever seen him before, but they he asked for me by name, and whoever was working, I don't know if it was my great aunt or uncle or an employee, they said they told this guy that I was off. Um, today, and he left the um, the building and walked across the street, and they saw him on a payphone for a good 10 to 15 minutes or so with somebody, and and that's all I know about that. I don't know who he was. We don't know what he wanted or anything. So you have no idea who he was at all? You weren't expecting, you didn't tell someone to come by your works anytime or anything like that? Oh, no, no, not that I know of. I mean, you know, I was in I was in school, and if, if I was actually off that day, then I was probably in Grand Junction with my friends, um, or I was at school at the time. So I didn't really do a whole lot of running around or anything. It, I would have been in three places, and I, Delta is not much bigger than Nucla. I mean, it's bigger, but not much, by much geographically. I mean, it wouldn't, if it was somebody that knew me, it would not have been hard to find me that, you know, especially if, if they knew my, my daily routine and stuff of if I'm in school or if I'm with my friends or if I'm at home or if I'm at work. Now, when you found out that this happened eight years later, from the police, right? Who did you, can you, sorry if I missed that. Who did you find out that this happened from? Um, I found out about this through Tammy Lawrence, who is my dad's best friend's wife. Um, she has no, no reason to make up something like that or spread ill word or anything like that. So I truly believe that this happened. And then when I asked my aunt, Cindy, who's married to my aunt Dick, or my uncle Dick, my dad's oldest brother, about it, they told me that 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 was true, that that had happened. Okay, and and did anybody give you a description of this person? No, no. They, um, like I said, it was through. I imagine that my great aunt or uncle are the ones who who relayed the information to whomever else, you know, to my my Uncle Dick or possibly my dad's cousin, Tom. My dad and Tom were super close. And then they got back to my Uncle Dick or, you know, and then to Steve and Tammy. I'm not I'm not really sure, but it was confirmed that this happened. 
not that anything had come out of it, you know, yeah. and I told our investigator about it, and they're like, you know, we kind of do remember something like that, but, I mean, it's it's so many years later. There's, I mean, even at the time, what are they, they're not going to, there's nothing they can do. It's just some random dude walked over there and used a cell phone or a pay phone. It's the, it's the 1999, you know, it's not like, their cell phone pings and stuff like that. Nowadays, if something like this were to happen under the same circumstances with the information that we know, it might be easier to track somebody down to see if they have information of what happened, but not then. This is the day that your father goes missing. Someone shows up looking for you at your work. You're not there and then makes a phone call as if relaying information. I'm just... Not, I'm not. I'm trying to not wildly speculate, but uh, that would appear to be how it played out. If we're trying to make this uh, in conjunction to your father's disappearance, pretty suspicious sounding. Um, but uh, but who knows? It might might not have been related at all. But yeah, it does it? It is curious for sure. I was alarmed by it. Even so many years later, I was still taken aback a little bit. I mean, it's my life. <laughs> I should know if somebody is trying to find me, yeah. especially if my dad disappears on strange circumstances. I don't know. I guess I just look back at all the what ifs, you know, like what if I would have been there? What did they want? What do they want from me? I don't know. You know, I was it related. I don't know. I honestly do not know if the the day that, mysterious guy showed up at my work is even like the like recently around my dad's disappearance you know it could be like a week later or it could have been a couple of days before or you know it could have been the day of or the day after that information has kind of been um not solidified as far as i know yeah, and so many years later, you can see how uh, the story could could have some inaccuracies in it. Right, right, yep. But um, I did, you know, it has been told to me by more than one person that this that this did happen, but they couldn't do anything or you know investigate it any further. Yeah, I guess not. But um, very concerning, I would say, um, for your own safety. I I, I can't believe it, uh, it. It took you that long to hear about it. Um, but I'm um, glad you're you're out of there. I mean. Us girls were my dad's everything, his whole world. So if somebody was trying to hurt my dad or punish him or, you know, anything like that, then I could see this for anybody, you know, like go after what's going to hurt them the most. Right. Go go after the daughter. And you just said if, if there was anybody you wanted to hurt your dad or... Maybe you didn't say this. I'm saying that someone who might have had an axe to grind with your dad, I would have thought that the, it would be pretty obvious in a town of 700 and so, you know, 740 people, uh, even a town of 1,000 people who know everything about each other, that it would have been pretty apparent. Um, is there is there anybody that comes to mind that your dad might have made an enemy out of? You mentioned the ex-friend. Is that somebody who might come into your mind as, as someone who maybe was this person who showed up asking for you or maybe has some something to do with your dad's disappearance? And, and why is he an ex-friend? Well, I don't think that it was the ex-friend who showed up at my work. My aunt and uncle would have known him because my my dad's family was very close. My 
um, between his his parents, brothers, and sisters, the aunts and uncles were very close, and and um, so you know they were familiar with my dad's raising and who was in his life and stuff like that. If anybody would have recognized him, it would have been um, his cousin Tom. I call him my uncle Tom because my dad and Tom were super close. They, you know, they worked in the same business, worked with the same people. And I know at times during their growing up and raising, they ran with the same individuals here and there when they would go to visit each other. But, yeah, my I mean, like anybody, my dad, I'm sure, had more than one enemy, you know, typical human nature, taking people off for little things here and there. But the big, I guess, elephant in the room would be the ex-friend. And the ex-friend is an ex-friend because my parents moved the ex-friend's ex-wife out of the state without him knowing. Um, it was a keep people safe circumstance. And I, and I have to tread pretty lightly on things um, on how I word stuff. Yeah, understandable. It was your father and your mother who helped this friend leave the abusive husband. He was was he physically and and mentally abusive to to this friend? Um, I don't know the circumstances of their personal relationship, but I do know that she was looking for a way out of whatever situation she was in and my parents helped her and her son okay and just to to reset for a second the, uh that was dale's ex-friend and his wife and they were having some um apparent marital troubles she came to dale and asked for some help in in uh getting away from her husband that is my speculation um i don't know the exact circumstances of that but um i think that this is all gathered information throughout the years of like i don't know if she came to my dad or if she came to my mom you know i don't know any i don't know any of the intricate details of the situation i just know that my parents helped somebody who was in need we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor america We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Now, I saw that there was a friend who, um, or an ex-friend, who uh, who tore down some some of Dale's missing flyers from the post office. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so the ex-friend um, is the same friend that my parents uh, helped uh, his, that guy's ex-wife move out of state. Um, so it's the same individual that is taking down the posters that had um, that my parents had helped his wife. Um, so basically, my mom 
would go in and put up missing flyers in the post office and she'd come back the next day and it was missing. And so she'd go get another one and, and hang it up again, come back the next day and it was gone again. And so this had continued for about a week and she finally let the, um, the CBI know and so they installed a camera in the post office in order to see you know, what was going on, and it turned out to be the same individual. As far as I know, I believe that they questioned him about it, but he didn't really have, you know, a reason as to why he was doing this other than, you know, you guys helped my ex-wife move and wouldn't tell me where she is and stuff. So, you know, he's naturally somebody is going to be upset about that and angry. Um, so, but... It didn't really, nothing really developed from him taking down the posters um, in the post office. Okay. So he never, he never like uh, admitted to anything other than being angry about uh, the situation that happened before. Right. Yeah. And like, I obviously don't know any of the details of their questions, the, the authorities' questions to this person, you know, other than just that general comment of there really wasn't a reason as to why he was taking them down that he would say or admit to. And there's obviously nothing that law enforcement can do because that's not technically breaking a law, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, like they can't do anything. They caught him on camera. He said, yeah, that's me. But it's not illegal to take down a poster. Did you ever approach this person about that or about anything in relation to your dad's disappearance? Oh, no. No. Nope. I, um, I steer clear of that. My, you know, my sister has had some accidental run-ins with him, but community members have, like, done their best to, you know, like, perhaps she, she had sat down and then the only other seat next to next to her or around her for anybody to sit at, at in during a community event, he would have sat next to her and somebody would have recognized her uncomfortableness and intervened, you know, and, and would have said like, Hey, come and sit by us, you know, or something like that. But um I would say that when when my sister and I are in town, the community does a pretty good job of recognizing when when people are uncomfortable put in uncomfortable situations and we'll try to rectify that because it's a small community and everybody is pretty close-knit but I haven't been back to nuclear for years so I haven't had anything to shy away from I guess from that area or run-ins or anything like that. Now what do you mean when you say that people in that area will I guess, kind of pull together when they recognize that somebody's in an uncomfortable situation or put in an uncomfortable position? Well, I, I guess, you know, I mean, like, people that are familiar with my sister or, you know, like, friends, friend, close friends of the family. If I mean, if you were sat next to somebody that has been questioned about, you know, a disappearance of somebody in your family and somebody that knows you saw that, wouldn't you expect them to intervene and, and say, hey, we, here, come over here. We can tell that you are uncomfortable in this situation. 
that you don't want to be around this person. Just come over here. I think that's really interesting because I was uh, thinking about it from the alternative uh, perspective, which is if if said person did not commit this crime and wasn't intentionally trying to make somebody uncomfortable, would the community be on the other side and say uh, to that person or to the person sitting next to him, it appears to me that he's not a popular person in the community in the first place, is I guess my point, if if that's the opinion of, of you as well. You know, I don't, I don't really know where he stands in the community and um, I'm certainly not going to intentionally speak poorly of, of uh, people that I'm not a hundred percent sure of regardless of, you know, my personal feelings. But I, I haven't been back to Nugla in a really long time. So I just don't know where, some people and individuals stand in the community. And uh, do you think, or, or or what do you think about the uh, the torn photographs uh, that had been uh, stolen from his shop and the uh, twenty two caliber rounds that were scattered on the ground? Apparently, Dale uh, Dale had seen these and known, uh, sort of seemed to understand what they meant. Well, um, the torn photos were of my parents and this couple. And, um, and, and then there were bullets scattered about as well. I don't know if any charges were pressed in that issue or if it was pursued much, I guess. And I don't know the outcome of, of that particular instance, but, um, my, you know, my mom had reported that. And I think that it was a scare tactic, really, you know, to get my parents scared and it worked. I mean, they were scared. So, and and then when my mom found the the gun in her movie drop box, that you know, that's pretty scary as well. So, I don't necessarily know if it was a threat or not, but it definitely did make them uneasy and uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it all led to uh, to your father disappearing. I mean, just looking at it um, as sort of like a ramping up process because uh, those kind of things, they, they didn't continue after Dale went missing, right? No, no, nothing has happened to my mom or, you know, to us girls after my dad went missing. And I want to be clear that the... the... 22 caliber revolver that was found in the Dropbox of the video store that your mom managed was a gun that belonged to your father that had been stolen, right? I, 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 don't, I don't know if we actually clarified that. So someone had stolen his gun and presumably put the rounds from that gun across the entryway of the auto body uh, store and or auto body shop and then a few day or a day later or so left the gun itself. So it's still fresh in their memory, left the gun itself in the Dropbox of the video store. So someone knew that your mom was going to find that gun. I mean, how many, you know, like how many employees of the video store were there? Did, did they know like your mom's schedule as opposed to leaving it on the doorstep of your parents' house or something? Right. Well, my mom is, my mom owned that video store. So chances are she was going to open up and find it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And her staff, would consist of usually like one or two people, like maybe a high school student and then an adult and herself. So, um, and, and it isn't that 
uh, like two people wouldn't work at the same time. It was, you know, it was one person at a time. So, you know, they would like when the, the high school student would get off school, they would go in and relieve whoever was working at the time, whether it was my mom or somebody else. Gotcha. Now, was it pretty common knowledge in the town that your parents helped this other woman? No, it wasn't because my my parents kept, you know, my parents didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell anybody where they went or what they were doing. And, you know, this, this lady just ended up not being there when her husband came home. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.